Well, like I was alluding to earlier, we are starting a new... Thank you, Craig. Come on. So strong, bro. Um, Like I was talking about, we are studying a new series this week on worship, on worship. Now, uh, and we're calling it Even the Rocks. Now, if you don't know what that means in regards to worship, I'll leave you kind of on the edge of your seat, cliffhanging for a little bit on the title of that. But I think when we think of worship, there's lots of different things that can come to our minds as Christians or as churchgoers, especially if you've been around churches for a while. One question or thought that probably comes to your mind is, okay, what style of worship do they have, right? And so any of you guys ever shown up at a church that had maybe a little bit different style of worship expression than you're used to? Anyone? Maybe this is, maybe even this church. Uh, so I remember the first time I uh, attended a, a Bible preaching church. After I got saved, great church, um, a little more kind of conservative on the expression. But as I walked in, they had this like roped off area, like over on the side, where people could dance. So it was like really conservative, kind of like like you know maybe a couple people hands up, and then this like kind of dancing area. Over roped off, and, and I didn't really have a context for any of that because I was a new believer. So I remember kind of thinking, like, oh, this that's interesting. Like, I wonder what's going on. And this like lady was all over the place, just doing all these kind of things, like bumping around and all that. Again, I didn't have a context for this. I was like, I wonder what's going on in like her life or something. You know, it's different. And I thought it was funny because it was like, you know, it was like just well, like put all these people just over here, you know, in <laughs> this roped off area. But I think it was awesome, you know. So I didn't. I didn't really have a context for, for engaging the Lord in different ways of worship, so I just kind of like judged because I didn't know what to do. Um, but, but, you know, if you've, if you've been around the church, well, maybe you've seen some of these kind of videos of sometimes our worship progression that we go through in worship services, right? Um, you know, I remember, like I said, I, you know, I got saved when I was 17. I was a newer believer. I remember the first time I closed my eyes during a worship service, you know, it's like, all right, Lord, going in, going in, going in the deeps here, going in the deeps, right? Closing my eyes here, here we go, you know, and then I remember the moment where, where I kind of did this for the first time, kind of the, the toss me the ball, hey, toss me the ball, hands open, toss me the ball, and I remember, uh, you know, just kind of like did it for something, I'm like, someone's looking at me, who's looking at me? I got my hand up, there, you know, who is going to judge me? I feel exposed right now. And, and then kind of move from the, the ball toss to, hey, throw me the fish, you know. Throw me the fish. Here we go. Ready, ready to receive, right. And, um, and then uh, kind of the, the one hand up from there, you know, kind of like, okay, Lord, we're, we're going up higher. And, and I remember uh, when I, when I kind of was, Hey Lord, I'm all in with you. Just in the sense of like I'm free falling in order. And actually, like in a beautiful way, I was like, all right, I don't care what people think anymore. I'm just, Ugh, you know? And I was like, who's looking at me right now? You know, I was like so self-conscious in that moment. Like everybody in the church is not looking at Jesus anymore. They are all looking at me, even though some of them are doing it too, but they're all looking at me, judging at me, and I'm like completely free falling. You know? I remember like distinctly that feeling. Um, 
Like I said, it was actually a powerful moment for me because the moment where I kind of just stepped over the boundary of I care what everyone thinks about me in worship to I care what God thinks about me in worship, right? And then, of course, there's other progressions. You go from two hands up to the field goal. Come on, kick it in. The fist pump, all right? Come on, Jesus, right? I could keep going. But listen, I'm having some fun, and there's beauty to all kinds of expressions of worship. There's seven different Hebrew words for worship that range from being still to dancing before the Lord indignantly. You know, so there's there's lots of beautiful biblical expressions uh, before the Lord. And um, but what I'm getting at here is, if our discussion circles around what we as human beings think worship is. If our discussion circles around, should I put my hand up in worship or not or whatever, I think we're missing the heartbeat of what God designed worship to be. Worship is so much more than funny discussions we have. Worship is so much more than what someone else thinks about us and maintaining status quo for that church. Worship is so much more than a warm-up we do to prepare for the sermon, right? Although I love and think the preaching of the word is central, worship is so much more than a warm-up. Worship is so much more than something that we kind of skip out on as kind of the optional part of service so that we can get there in time for the sermon. Now, listen, I know life happens, but just saying. Worship is so much more than, well, than how we perceive it as human beings. Worship is central throughout the story of God in Scripture. Worship is what we do as people who are image bearers made in the image of God when we live unto the Lord in whatever we're doing. That is worship. Worship is... um, is, is what went before the people of God into battle throughout Scripture, right? I mean, I would put the best warriors uh, into battle first, but they recognize they're, they're you know, in, this, in a spiritual battle. So like, we'll, we'll put the skinny jeans person up front, you know? I'm just kidding. But really, they, they, put, they put worship out front into battle because they recognized they were fighting a spiritual battle. It was what the Samaritan leper did after he was cleansed. He fell on his face in worship. It's what the early church did in and out of season. Whether they had great fruit or great persecution, they gathered together to worship and pray. And it acted for a spiritual furnace in the early church for all that they were doing. Worship is what we will be doing for all of eternity. We are called at Antioch Community Church to be a worshiping people, both because we are Christians and we have an amazing God, but also I believe God has called us to carry a unique grace in the peop- as people of worship. We are made to live out of intimacy and connection with God in all the things we do in life. I believe our worship and prayer individually and as a corporate church will be a furnace for all God wants to do here and around the world as we had testimonies last week of what God is doing internationally in and through our people. In this series, I believe God wants to deposit a heart and a spirit of worship in us. And I believe we're going to leave 
impacted and transformed. And I want to look at a core scripture today that paints a picture of what is worship and take a look at the life of an unexpected worshiper. John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. If you need a Bible, you can put your hand up. We'd love to put the Word of God in your hand. We believe uh, every time we open Scripture, every time we open God's Word, He is going to speak to us powerfully and impact our, our hearts. John chapter 1 this is a little bit longer verse, so bear with me. But I believe God is going to speak to us powerfully through it. <clears throat> now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making, uh, making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judah and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And when he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as, his, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go. Call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you did not know, but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And she goes on to leave her jar and, and basically go back to the village and basically becomes one of the first kind of revivalist people, persons starting a revival. All these people come to faith 
because of this encounter with Jesus, and she becomes this radical worshiper. So two observations I just want to make as we start uh, this, this sermon here in this text. Number one, the story ends with her as this radical, wholehearted worship, worshiper and starting their survival, but it doesn't begin that way. It's interesting in verse 10, you can see that she doesn't even really recognize him, doesn't know who she is. Verse 10 says this, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She wasn't yet worshiping him because she hadn't yet seen him. Now, she saw him, but she wasn't seeing him. She wasn't worshiping yet because she hadn't seen who he is. You guys, worship is a response to God and what he's done. Worship is a response we have as human beings to who God is and what he has done. It is a response to his holiness. It is a response to his majesty. It is a response to his glory. It is a response when a, when a powerful, all-knowing God visits humanity. Our response is worship. Worship is not a feeling, although at times we have feelings. It's not a man-centered thing. It's not... It's not having the right band or creating the right feel. Worship is a wholehearted response to beholding him. And if we're not worshiping or we're spiritually dead, we may not be beholding him. We may be going through the church motions. We may be going through the Christian motions, but maybe we're not beholding who he is by faith in all his glory. As I said, this series called Even the Rocks comes from a story called The Triumphal Entry. And the disciples whose lives are being changed by Jesus were worshiping with the whole hearts. And the Pharisees who were the religious leaders who missed grace and ultimately missed God tried to shut them up. And Jesus said this, if they don't worship me, even the rocks will cry out and worship my name. Worship is a response to the majesty and the glory of God. And even if we miss it, others will around the world catch it. And even the rocks will cry out because he is worthy. The second observation I want to make is that, you know, it's interesting. The longest recorded conversation with Jesus, which is this passage, and the person that kind of leads the first revival, if you will, is a Samaritan woman. Now, let me give some context for that. Samaritans uh, were seen in the eyes of Jews as kind of these half-breeds. They, they, Jewish people saw them as impure, unholy, uh, and the Jewish people in return were taunted and ridiculed and harassed by the Samaritans. They did not get along together, and you can see that even the passage in verse 9, it says they have no dealings with Samaritans. And so, literally, what would happen... Um, would the Jewish people would go around Samaria and avoid interacting with the Samaritans at all. And here's Jesus going right into the heart of Samaria. On top of that, uh, she is a woman. Now, listen, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. 
rabbis at the time basically had no public interaction with women. On top of that, married rabbis would even often have no public interaction even with their wife. In fact, some Pharisees were known to have bleeding heads because these kind of religious Pharisees would, would basically cover their eyes and close their eyes when passing women on the street and would end up running into walls. So on the list of people who Jesus would choose to have this longest dialogue with, on the list of people who Jesus would choose to show his love and transform into one of the most radical worshipers in the New Testament, and the list of people who Jesus would choose to be one of the first kind of revival, bring people, a Samaritan woman would have probably been towards the bottom of the list. Yet we see a picture of the purposes and the grace of God and what Jesus is doing. And I think if we're to be honest, some of us look around in worship in church. We see some people like deep into worship going forward or really engaging with God. I think sometimes we feel like, that's not me. I feel like I kind of like miss this somewhere or I don't really connect with God. I got stuff going on in my life. I'm newer at this thing. I don't, I don't know what they have, but I don't have that thing. They seem to kind of have it together and I don't. Listen, worship is not the performance of the religious elite. Worship is the response of unlikely people who have encountered Jesus. Listen, if you're here and you feel like an unlikely person to be in church, and you feel like an unlikely person to be following Jesus, and you look different or act different or feel different, you're in a great place because we're all unlikely people here. We're all people that haven't had it together, and yet somewhere along the way, we encountered Jesus. We didn't deserve to be chosen. We didn't deserve to follow him. We didn't deserve his grace, and that's why we worship wholeheartedly, because we don't deserve it. That's why we give everything to him, because we are a band of unlikely ragtag people who encountered the grace of God, and that is good news, and that is why we worship. And so you see this kind of dichotomy throughout this entire passage. You see this eternal God stepping in and stepping into humanity. This strange intersection of God and humanity, of divinity stepping into humanity. And I believe where grace steps into our humanity, worship is the result. Where God steps in, humanity, uh, worship is the result. So I want to look more at how worship is produced in us. You might be asking me why, you know, that's awesome. I hear that. Unlikely ones, worship's a response to who God is and what he's done. I want to, you might be asking us, so why is that important? I want to kind of answer that question. I want to look at verse 10 to 15. It says this, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank for himself as did his sons and his livestock. 
Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water. You know, throughout scripture, God uses this analogy of being uh, of thirsting and hungering and being quenched to satisfaction. It illustrates the human desire for God to satisfy our hearts. It illustrates a human desire for something more. You believe, you know, I believe we were made to hunger for something great. We were made to be satisfied with goodness and glory in the deepest parts of who we are, and we were made to be in awe of something greater than ourselves. It is hardwired into who we are, and because of that, I believe we are hardwired to worship. In fact, I would go so far to say that if we are not worshiping God because we are worshipers, we are worshiping something or someone else. How do I know we're made to worship? I just want to kind of think about it for a second. I bet growing up, you had some stuff on your walls. You had some sports jerseys. You had some posters of, of you know, that the Disney star or whatever you did growing up, whatever your deal was. You had those things. I know for me, I'm a Minnesota Twins fan, all right? So I love baseball. I especially love the Minnesota Twins. And Kirby Puckett was my dude. If anyone knows Kirby Puckett, he was a, he was a Minnesota Twins kind of all-star. And so I had his signed baseball, and I had his, you know, jersey and his sign, the signed glove and all that. And, and I, you know, I had it all in this, like, little altar thing. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, I'm going to put this up away so no one can touch it. It is my little Kirby Puckett altar, you know, of, of all little things. And I, I, I had my little, my little shrine over in the corner. Now, you know, obviously as a kid, I'm just enjoying sports, right? I later found out that, uh, unfortunately, he strangled his wife with a phone cord and was charged with sexual assault. My hopes in, in, in this man that I was like, he is, he is the man. I want to be like him one day were dashed, Right? But I went to confirm the facts of that online that that happened. And and the first article I pulled up literally said that despite this, the Minnesota Twins fan continued to worship on the altar of Kirby Puckett. I was like, whoa, no way. I mean, literally the first article I pulled up. Now, don't we do that? I mean, sports, artists, hobbies, music. If you're not convinced yet that we are worshipers, I want to show you a quick video that is uh, oldie from the 90s, but goodie.
little MJ moment. No, we are, we are hardwired to worship. We're hardwired to be in awe of something, of someone. We are hardwired to drink deeply of something or someone else and be a part of something or someone so much bigger than ourselves. We are worshipers, and you can't escape it because it's who we are. We are made to be satisfied and awed to the deepest part of who we are. And so Jesus goes to this lady who had clearly been drinking from other wells of worship and had clearly found herself disappointed along the way, as we will see in a minute. Now listen, if we are made that way, it means that we all have a choice to what wells of worship we can go to drink from, to be satisfied. And if you have lived long enough, you know that Will we go to drink our deepest needs of something or someone else, ultimately they disappoint. Maybe that's been success or career. I know that's something I've had to give up to the Lord again and again and again. Maybe it is the, the well of image and appearance that we try and draw from again and again, and it ultimately leaves us satisfied. I know for me, that was something I literally had to stop looking at health magazines, because I was obsessed with that for a season many years ago. And now that I'm older, I'm just, this can's going downhill. I know that, right? Uh, right? But, but it was a well that I tried to drink from, and it only left me thirstier. Maybe it's a well of acceptance. Maybe it's a well of if I have this relationship, one day when I get married or I meet that perfect person or that person meets my need or this friend meets my need, like this, right? Maybe it's trying to be accepted by other people. We know that those wells cannot ultimately satisfy us to the deepest part of who we are. Some of those things are even good things, but they're bad gods. But some of us, we're kind of like, okay, then I'm going to clean up my life, and we try and kind of, we go the other direction. So I'm going to clean up my life. We're going to, we turn to religion. I'm going to do more to earn the acceptance of God. And let me say, religion is another well. If we're trying to do more for God or clean up our life for God, it is another well that will ultimately leave us empty because it doesn't work like that. And Jesus comes and is like, hey, I'm not anything like the well you've been drinking from. You see, he flipped her script. She came thinking that she was going to give him a drink. She came thinking that she was going to serve him and that she would leave empty. And Jesus flips the script. Jesus came planning to give her a drink and fill her in the deepest parts of who she is. You see... He's altogether different than the other wells we have drank from in the past. What Jesus does, he, full, he, he holds up our false wells that we tend to drink from against him, and he entices her through asking questions to more. Essentially saying, hey, are you tired yet? Hey, are you, are you thirsty still after being here again and again? Are you worn out yet? And he starts to entice him, I've got something better. Verse 10, it says this, if you knew, if you even knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Skip ahead to verse 13, it says this, 
everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's saying, hey, those things you've been at before, those wells you've been at, how's it going? Going back to drink again and getting empty and going back to drink again. How's, how's that going? I think he's essentially saying. And he holds up in light of religion in the world and these other wells. He holds up this living water. And he holds up a better option that will only ultimately satisfy because Jesus is our living water. And he's drawing her in and she buys in. Verse 15 says this, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water anymore. She's beginning to start to come to the end of herself. You see, Jesus doesn't always draw us by just telling us what to stop. And sometimes we're stuck because we're just trying to stop doing one thing, but we've missed the better source. So she's seeing it now, beginning to see it, and she's all in. She says, okay, let's do it. And this is the moment, I mean, this is the moment where Jesus could be like, hey, cue the music. She's ready to pray. She's ready to, you know, follow. Let's get the band out here. This is an altar call moment. She wants Jesus. But he takes a little bit different route, right? You see, because he wants the revelation of the love of God in her heart to be something so much more than something that's an inch deep in Revelation, Something so much more that is an inch deep in worship. He wants her to find real life. He is saying, okay, you, you, want, you want living waters? You want joy that bubbles up? You want eternal life? You want to be deeply satisfied? Wait, let me ask you a question. Right, and he continues on. Verse 16, it gets a little awkward here, actually. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. I said, that all of a sudden, this moment of like, I am ready, yes, and, and all of a sudden it got a little, little awkward. What he's trying to do is give her living water. He's trying to take the cap off so she can drink deeply and be satisfied. Now listen. There's not a lot of information in this backstory. There's a lot of things maybe we don't know. What's up with the five husband things? You know, we could, we could speculate. So maybe they were widowed, you know. Maybe she's been five times widowed. Now, if you're the sixth dude, that would be a little interesting at that point. Like, hey, the last five guys, you know, and now this is the sixth round. Let's take this relationship a little slower. Every guy you seem to with, you know, doesn't make it, Right? You got anything in the closet, you know? Maybe it was adultery. We don't know what was going on. But regardless, there seems to be something that she's running from. There seems to be something that she's hiding from. You know, noontime was not a typical time for ladies to be up drawing water at the well. So many commentators speculate that she was up there basically kind of avoiding the shame of her community. There seems to be some type of shame issue that she is running from. My point here is this, that we live in a broken world. And what we tend to do 
We all have wounds in our life, and we tend to put walls around our wounds to deflect what's actually going on. So just let me illustrate that for a second. You know, if, if you have a wound and someone comes in to try and touch it or help it or make it feel better, you want to slap them. You're like, hey, psh, hey, that hurts. You know, like my kids, they can even have this small thing and the, their ability to defend against my getting a sliver out or their ability to defend against you know, whatever I wanted to help them is amazing. I'm like, you're three. How are you so strong all of a sudden, right? So we might be like 98% good, but we got that like 2% thing that's hurting. We got that 2% thing that we're hiding and we feel like we're dying on the inside there. And we feel like if, if, if anyone else really knew this part or if I even really got real with God, it's over. It's over. And for her, her wall was a little interesting. She put up a basically wall by kind of deflecting the conversation. So this awkward moment, and she's like, oh, let me bring up a doctrinal random point to bring up. So instead of talking about the issue, she goes into the hot doctrinal topic of the day. And it's go, well, where should we worship? We should worship over here. You say, oh, worship over here. She's deflecting. She's walling her pain. And um, it's interesting. You know, like I said, there's a lot of different ways we wall. I do think, although I love doctrine and it's actually essentially important, um, I do think that some of us can put up a wall of doctrine, because it's really a heart issue. Now, we're passionate about Jesus, but, but this one issue, this one thing, you know, maybe it's this non-essential issue, and we want to wall up and have spikes around it or whatever. Now, I'm not saying that certain issues aren't make or break, because they are, but some of us, we wall up and, and, and get almost like wrongfully theological, because actually there's something gone in our heart that Jesus wants to set us free from. Or we do it in different ways. Some of us, we wall up by achieving more. Some of us, we wall up by rebelling. Oh, you, you want me to be that thing that I can never be? All right, well, then I'm going to be this thing that you don't want me to be at all because I can't earn your love the other way. Some of us wall up by being super spiritual. Some of us wall up with an issue by doing more stuff. We're running, we're running, running because we're actually hurting. Some of us wall up by isolating ourselves and saying, man, if I isolate enough, I can't be rejected. And what Jesus is saying here is, no, 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 I love you too much to let this wound fester. I love you too much to let this thing sit. Listen, ma'am, you want streams of living water? You want to be alive in the deepest parts of who you are? You want not just 98%, but 100% of who you are to be alive and free and full of joy? Okay, then go grab your husband. Like, I know what's going on. You know, I'm God. <laughs> Let me love you in this place. You see, I believe because God's most significant work, God's deepest revelation and worship, I believe, are in the very places we want to hide. And Jesus is like, no, I, I know. And I love you in this place. I love you enough to touch this because I'm trying to open the lid. I'm trying to tear down the wall and pour living water of revelation into you. 
We're used to putting up walls. We're used to, whether it's a relationship with people or a relationship with God, we come into worship and we don't feel fully free because that 2%, that 2% thing that's in the back of our heads, we're saying no, and we don't encounter all that God has for us. See, believe, I believe God doesn't want our spiritual performance of walls that we tend to put up. We come in and try and do enough for God so that we feel good in the place of worship so that we feel free. God doesn't want our comparison if I look like others and act like others and I can really be a worshiper in this place. God doesn't want our status. He does want us to worship in spirit and truth, and that's a whole other sermon we're going to do here in the coming weeks. What God wants it's not your walls, not your performance. He wants your open hands. He wants your sin. He wants your emptiness. He wants you to come as you are in your shortcomings and let him in. It's not a performance. It's not something we work into the presence of God. Jesus came to us. He tore down the walls to the cross, and he loves us in that place. Hebrews 4.16 says it like this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. Listen, worship, the presence of God, is somewhere we bring our emptiness to. It's somewhere we bring our tiredness to, our baggage to, our worry to, our work, uh, our, our hurt to. We take whatever is going on on Sunday morning or any time throughout the week into his presence and we dump it on him and say, God, this is, this is all I have. And it's when you're empty, he can fill you. It's when we're empty, we will be the most filled. And for me, I mean, I'm, I'm a doer, I'm a fixer, I like to make things happen, I like to move forward. If, if I feel like I'm falling short with God, my tendency is to try and fix it, go harder, and next time, you know, uh, let, let's do this. And so for me, I had to learn, hey, I'm actually anxious below the surface. And I'm going to sit in that awkward place of being loved. And instead of going to do more, I'm going to sit and receive. And the walls begin to melt in my heart. And I began to encounter God more and more and more. You know, Jesus comes in and she throws up her walls and she derails the conversation. You know, this thing, that thing, this doctrine, whatever. And Jesus, hey, hey, doctrine's great, doctrine's important, but this is about me. This is about Jesus. And God is standing before her in these little piddly walls and he's lifting her head. He's lifting her and saying, no, 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 you're missing it. Your fears, your shame, you're missing it. I'm right here. And she throws kind of one last Hail Mary attempt before he drops a 5,000-pound worship-producing bomb on her. Here's her last Hail Mary attempt, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, you know, and when he comes, you know, we'll know everything when Jesus shows up. And he's like, I who speak to you am he. It's at this point her life is turned upside down. When she sees him, when she sees who he is, the only response is to worship. He says, I am he. What was her response? Verse 28 says, she left her water jar. 
She said, I don't, I don't need this well. I don't need my past wells anymore. She left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Just picturing these droves of people from the most unexpected lady showing up and encountering Jesus. These droves of people coming from the town and encountering Jesus. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would come and have given you living water. Now she knew. Now she knew. In the past she saw but didn't see. Like we have a tendency to look at man and not God. We have a tendency to go through the motions and miss God. Now she has seen. So who was it that she saw? She saw the I am. The one who says, I am the bread of life. The one who says, I am the light of the world. Who did she see? The one that says, I am the good shepherd. She saw face to face the one that says, he is the door of the sheep, the resurrection and the life, and the way and the truth and the life. She saw who Hebrew 1 says face to face is the one who is appointed heir, heir of all things. The one who through the, uh, through the word, the world was created. She was looking face to face with the one who is the exact radiance of the glory of God. She was looking face to face with the one who is the exact imprint of his nature. She was looking at the one who upholds the universe, according to Hebrews 1, by the very word of his power. She was looking at the one who Revelation says has a golden sash and a long robe, hair that is white like wool, and his eyes blaze like fire. I wonder if she saw flames of fire in his eyes that day. And it was unlike anything she's ever seen or any eyes of any man she ever looked into. She was looking at the one whose feet are burnished like bronze refined in the fire. She was listening to the voice of one whose voice is like the sound of many roaring waters. She was looking at the one whose face shines like the sun in full strength, Revelation says. She was looking at the one who for all of eternity, those around his throne would be saying, holy is the Lord of, holy, holy are you, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You see, worship is a response to who he is. And she had seen him now. And she experienced the living water. If you knew the gift and you knew who it was who was talking to you, the one who healed the lepers, the one who ate with sinners, the one who loved humanity, the one who loved me and loved you, the one who went to the cross. This is a gift that Jesus was talking about. The one who went to the cross and took on the sin of humanity and your and my sin and said, Father, forgive his sinful world. They know not what they do. The one who rose from the dead, defeating the death in our lives. This is the same one who calls us today, come all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. It's the same one who says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. She saw him and her response was to leave her jar, to leave her past wells and run to him and say, give me that living water. I need it. I want to respond to the Lord today 
by worshiping. I want to respond to the Lord by lifting up his name, responding to all of who he is. I want to lift our eyes to the I am. Let's stand. We worship wholeheartedly in this church because we encounter the living God. Because we lift, we lift our eyes to him. We're, we're not worshiping according to some song. We are worshiping the one who made the heavens and the earth. We're worshiping the alpha and the omega. We're worshiping the one that bought us, if we were saved, back from the dead. Therefore, we are worshiping wholeheartedly. So let's lift our eyes to the I am and let's worship him. And some of us today, we need to be reminded that he is the better well. He is the one who satisfies. And some of us today, we've been performing for God in the place of worship. And in your invitation is come to him empty-handed and, and let him just embrace you for who you are.